Welcome. On one of our recent episodes before we took a break, we spoke about social unrest being the next big thing, and that's exactly what we're seeing worldwide at the moment, and particularly the United States is a hotspot. And if you think about COVID-19, which is a, a virus, a disruption within the body, and how the body has this immune response where it detects that something's not right, there's a disturbance in the body and it sends uh, the immune system's fighters, I guess, uh, to, to deal with whatever it is. You can extend that analogy to society. And so social unrest is really an example of a social immune response. Mm. And whenever we see people protesting, people uh, being disobedient in some way, then we should recognize that, okay, something's not right. There's, there's an issue, a problem with life conditions somewhere that needs to be addressed, and it needs to be addressed in a, a very constructive and, and positive and nonviolent way. So uh, at the moment, what we're seeing is very, very similar to what happened back in the late 1950s and through the 1960s when we saw an early wave of layer six values flaring up within society. And these changes, these large-scale changes that uh, we're dealing with here are very wave-like in the way they emerge. And you can think about the tide coming in on a beach and you'll see the waves run up the beach and then they recede again and then the next wave will run up the beach a little bit further and then recede again. So it's a gradual backwards and forwards process of emergence and then uh, a falling away and then a re-emergence. And the 1960s were a fairly significant emergence of the very same values that are sweeping the world mm. at this time. And it's good to look back and just understand that. And it makes sense of a lot of what is going on right at the moment, because a lot of the issues and the themes around those issues are almost exactly the same to what we saw in the yes. 60s. And there's been a, a replay, I guess it must be, of a 2016 movie on SBS here in Australia just recently, and you may well have seen that wherever you are in the world. It's a well-known movie called I Am Not Your Negro, uh, featuring Samuel L. Jackson as the, as the speaker, and it is an Oscar-nominated documentary based on uh, James Baldwin, the famous American African-American uh, writer and um, commentator and social activist. Uh, it's an unfinished manuscript that he wrote called Remember This House, uh, which this is based on. It's a stirring personal account of the lives and deaths of his friends Medgar Evers, who I didn't know much about, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. It's a very unique documentary, but as you're saying, it points to that very clear resonance between those times and these times we're now living through, especially this uh, couple of weeks since uh, since George Floyd was, was murdered in uh, Minneapolis and the re reactions to that around the world. Absolutely. I watched uh, this documentary just recently and was quite disturbed mm. to see the, the remarkable similarities in terms of particularly racially motivated unrest. There's an image there, for, I think it's from the 1960s, of a policeman kneeling on the neck of a black person. Yes, exactly. It was shocking. It brought me to tears immediately. It's like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, quite quite remarkable. And you can look at that as like, well, nothing's changed and look at it very negatively, which is a fair enough uh, interpretation of that. But hopefully you can see a deeper thing going on there that then, of course, because there was success in those civil movements in the 60s, just there was with, with the, the feminist movement, of course, at the time, the political movement against Vietnam and the movement for psychedelic drugs at that time, of course, psychedelic medicines, as we now call them. So those movements did actually have success and effect at that time. But there was the first generation, and now we're at sort of like the next layer up on the spiral and ready to approach these things with perhaps a bit more of a, 
a deeper um, understanding of what's going on and a better value system, perhaps. That's right. And just like the waves running up the beach, you know, mm. as the tide's coming in, we saw this flare up. And there, as you say, there certainly was progress made uh, across many of those yeah. issues back in the, at that time. But then the wave ran back down the beach again. And, and uh, mm. it's really important to keep that big picture perspective on this change and that wave-like emergence where it, it, will, it will look good for a while, then it will look like it's going backwards and it will look good you know, again and a little bit better when the next wave comes in. And so we just have to trust in that overall large pattern of the tide actually coming in. And, and from my perspective, that is certainly the case. And this time we're very close to the high tide mark so I, I truly believe sometime within the next 10 years or so we're going to see the mm. the uh, modern scientific industrial era and its social systems collapse to a point where they really won't be functional anymore and there will be new systems more evolved and more capable systems in their place i think one of the uh, one of the quotes i wrote a few quotes down here we have one we might play as well of from james baldwin himself around the early 60s but he said some amazing things in this documentary doesn't he uh, they have his, he his voice as he uh, as he speaks in various times during his his lifelong uh, work but he said at one point which really struck me people can't bear very much reality they prefer fantasy. He's talking about Americans in particular, but I think it applies pretty much across the Western world. Yep. They prefer fantasy. They have enough reality to bear already just getting by, just living life conditions. I think it's a very interesting comment, just that it's a simple comment, but it goes to that, you know, that denial that uh, the, white, the white person in particular with regards to uh, the other, to the black other in this country, in the USA, of course, um, it, it goes to that you know, denial and uh, just turning the other, just turning away, just not seeing, not looking. And in our history books, the misreporting, the unreporting, the non-reporting of, of those affairs in this country, in Australia, that's certainly true, as, as we both grew up here, knowing very little about our Indigenous people. So there's a blindness there that comes from people's um, basically not wanting to face these things, simply. Absolutely, mm. and it's it's tied to the value systems and their perspective. And as we were saying earlier, uh, you know, you have, when you're immersed in one of these value systems, a particular perspective that you're seeing the world from, and uh, there are things that you won't be able to see and it won't be possible for you to see mm. from that particular place. Mm. There's some rain out there. Beautiful. You may be hearing this. We could stop, folks, but I think it's actually okay. Yeah, it sounds like a bit of uh, static and yes. noise in the background, but it's just uh, beautiful, heavy rain. We here. love the rain here in the northern rivers of New South Wales. Those of you who know this region in Australia, if you've been here or you're listening from here, uh, we, we, we just love getting the rain here. It's a very green region, and when it rains like this, it's uh, everyone just goes, yeah. But getting back to James Baldwin, what he's saying yes. here about you know some people can't face reality, uh, he's most likely speaking from layer six, uh, from what I mm. saw of him in that documentary. Mm. And so he's talking about people from uh, the previous layers, layer three, four, and five, and uh, without a full understanding of these layers of value systems, he's just making the observation that some people don't want to see what I can see. Yes. Yeah. And And the truth of it is that some of those people aren't able to see what you can see if you're operating from a different value system because you simply have a, a different uh, mm. sensory perception. We might play this uh, little piece from him which refers a bit to this about the one-ninth of the population of the US which is uh, African-American um, basis and uh, the, the denial of participation refers to kind of what we're saying. So let's have a little listen to this piece from James Baldwin. About 1963, and we think this was spoken perhaps in Cambridge in the UK, because he spent a lot of time in France and he spoke at some of the universities in, uh, at that time there. So this is James Baldwin. 
It is a terrible thing for an entire people to surrender to the notion that one-ninth of its population is beneath them. And until that moment, until the moment comes, when we, the Americans, we, the American people, are able to accept the fact that I have to accept, for example, that my ancestors are both white and black, that on that continent we are trying to forge a new identity for which we need each other, and that I am not a ward of America. I am not an object of missionary charity. I am one of the people who built the country. Until this moment, there is scarcely any hope for the American dream, because the people who are denied participation in it by their very presence will wreck it. And if that happens, it's a very grave moment for the West. Thank you. James Baldwin there, and uh, very salient remarks indeed. And you can hear him there calling for inclusion mm. and this idea that everybody should have uh, equal access, you know, social justice issues, which is very much a layer six theme uh, and, and a wonderful, wonderful uh, piece there by James Baldwin, mm. I must say. Indeed. So... Um, um, Moving forward from where we are now, we can we can see, uh, I guess, straight away that when you know if you're watching the news and you're seeing what's going on and the, the kind of uh, themes that are playing out around the world with social unrest at the moment, they are the same themes that were playing out in the 1960s, yeah. and they're being seen from uh, a very very similar perspective because this is about people waking up to layer six values, waking up to the reality that you know of the separation within society that has been created by layer five mm. systems. And you could exchange segregation for separation in that in that terminology right there. Absolutely, mm. and you know, again, as we said before, this narrowing of focus and specialization within narrow fields mm. uh, on a social scale plays out as separation or segregation uh, for for various reasons. And this was just a fundamental characteristic of that particular way of being human, the the layer five way, and so. In order to solve the problems created by that separation and segregation, now we need to move back in the opposite direction, and we need we need yeah. to integrate, and that needs to happen right across the scale, across every industry and every you know social sector. We need that integration, and it's very much seen as a rebalancing of something that has got out of balance uh, from that layer six perspective. Mm. Um, those of you who are familiar with these issues may well know of uh, Jane Elliott and the Blue Eyes, Brown Eyes exercise. I only just came across it myself with looking at research for today. Um, and for those who do know, you, you'll know that in 1968, in response to the assassination of Martin Luther King, Jane Elliott, white woman, devised a controversial and startling Blue Eyes, Brown Eyes exercise. This now famous exercise labels participants as inferior or superior based solely on the, upon the colour of their eyes and exposes them to the experience of being a minority. Everyone who is exposed to Jane Elliott's work, be it through a lecture, a workshop, a video, is dramatically affected by it. And I think it's very telling just that simple fact that you can just assign by some physical difference uh, a superiority or an inferiority to a group of people, to kids in this case or to anybody, and they will actually they will actually experience that. They will they will feel it because it's that easy to be educated to hate somebody, unfortunately. And that's really where we have to make the, the integration beginning in, at childhood in in our education system, essentially. 
Yeah, I think that's great. And of course, over the last few decades, there's been a lot of things creeping into the education system, and particularly around environmental awareness and those sorts of things, which reflect the the emergence of layer six yes. values and the, the shifting, you know, importance away from being personally successful mm. and having lots of money to uh, to taking into account all of these other issues which have been put out of balance through the scientific industrial era. Mm. Uh, and uh, I guess, uh, again, you know, a, a common theme during our show over the last couple of years has been the uh, fact that we need to start creating more resilient local communities. And, and generally, this global shift is very much about just moving back to community because community has been in many, many cases weakened and, and uh, pulled apart by the the way of living associated with the, the era that is now coming to a close. So... Um, the COVID-19 crisis, of course, has really pointed out clearly to me the the faults in systems that we've been created that have become totally profit-driven. Mm. And to the point where that drive for success through profit has actually eclipsed the fundamental reason that the systems were designed in the first place, you know, which, in other words, to look after people. Uh, and you can take any social system as an example, but the, the medical system is a wonderful one and very appropriate mm. for this particular yes. pandemic issue, is, uh, you know, how, how difficult was it during the last few months to know who to listen to in the face of conflicting advice of, okay, yeah, you should wear a mask, no, you shouldn't wear a mask, We're, yeah, you should wait for a vaccine, or no, the vaccines are no good, and experts being ro- rolled out uh, in you know, the, the mainstream media and social media who would very, very clearly put a strong argument for both cases which actually contradict each other and, you know, where does that leave us? And and that problem of, of uh, fake news has largely been created by this profit-seeking agenda which has come out of the, the way of five era. And the, the emergence of eras over the very, very long term, you know, the new era always solves the problems which were created by the old era but then over time simply living life one particular way creates new problems because of the emerging complexity and so each era goes through a life cycle which is at first constructive but then eventually becomes deconstructive and the era the the systems and way of living associated with each era actually start to deconstruct themselves because of the problems they're creating creating are worse than the you know the problems they're trying to solve and it's a good way, as we've said a few times on this show, to see that as, as compost. We're creating compost of the old value system, of the old structures, rather than trying to uh, fix them as they are and put Band-Aids on them or, or destroy them. I mean, some destruction is going to happen, and who knows how that's going to happen. That's another story, perhaps, we can, one could say. But certainly the, the notion that it, they are collapsing, and to see it, for me anyway, to see it as compost and that the new is arising out of that compost, I think is a, a fairly healthy way to see it. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. Um, so at this time, you know, as we as we think about how to re-emerge and how to re-engage with the world, there is a huge opportunity lying before us to actually change the way we do things. And I think for most people, what really is in their face is that, you know, having been released from what we like to call the rat race of that daily commute and then, you know, working in a, in a place uh, many people... Many, People don't have the opportunity to actually work in a job that they're extremely passionate about. Some of us do, thank goodness. 
Um, but uh, to be released from the need to do that in order to simply survive. Mm. Uh, and you know, is that the way that we want to live in the future? And of course, it's not the way that human evolution is taking us. Human evolution is taking us in a different direction because that the era that that particular way of living has run its life cycle and is now really, in some cases, more harmful than it is useful. Mm. I've got a lovely piece here. I think it's kind of appropriate from... Um the wisdom of Bill Mollison, who's the, one of the creators, of course, of permaculture. Uh, and it's, it's speaking really exactly to what you're saying here. And I think also what these points that, that he's made, and this is obviously some time ago, are really relevant because it's exactly how many of us have had to become or start to think about becoming in this era of COVID-19. So he makes a few points here. I'll maybe just truncate them slightly. Number one, learn to plant not only an orchard, but also basic crops and trees, fruit and so forth. To create a bond with some land, whether it's yours or that of a relative, a project, a community garden, participate with the people who live there, go gradually looking for ways to spend more time in the countryside than in the city, learn to plant and purify water, treat organic waste and heal in nature and so on, develop practical skills, cooking, carpentry, machine repair, food processing and so forth, teach these skills to, the, to your children. Four, seek a mutual support group where people take care of each other, make products of basic need collectively, such as natural hygiene products, products, natural remedies, and so forth. Five, simplify your life now, releasing more space and time. Discover everything you can do without money. Walk, exercise, craft, body arts, socialize, and so forth. Six, separate from the logic of consuming more and more. Prefer handmade products that last a long time. Quality made by small producers, social companies and solidarity, economic companies and so forth. Seven, exchange, store, multiply and spread seeds, Creole seeds he calls them here, which are native, non-genetically modified and produced by popular and family farming. And lastly, number eight, recognize that life will be much better afterwards. We're just transitioning. And he quotes the quote he has here is, our creativity is the limit of the system. I like that. Our creativity is the limit of the system. And probably don't think that your creativity creativity has any limits would be a good place to start, in my opinion. Yeah, that's uh, that's great work by Bill. Yeah. Uh, And he's talking there really uh, about these themes that are associated with the the emergence of the new value set. Uh, I think um, one of the things that really stood out for me in the the COVID-19 response uh, was the amount of fear that Mm. was created and uh, and in some cases even uh, encouraged, officially encouraged, you know, be fearful. Um, and I think that's entirely unnecessary. In fact, uh, fear responses often create more problems, uh, unfortunately. And so if we are able to now understand that this disruption that we've been through is going to happen again, it may not be related to a pandemic. It may be related to something completely different, mm. perhaps a mm. climate related issue for example or or something else i mean coming down to that notion of fear because um talking about graves's work as we as we move to the the end of the first tier in graves's work which is layer six we've been talking about today that movement into layer six uh, before we move to the next layer which is over the momentous leap as he called into the second tier of conscious and layers seven and eight by his identification at the time that he did that research and as we said earlier we'll go on and on but the quality that is needs to be let go of to make that bigger leap, the two main words there are fear 
and compulsion. So it would seem as we move more solidly and more uh, and quickly into layer six at this time, especially when we've got things like COVID-19 and other crises coming upon us, that it's giving us an, a, a really good chance to deal with our fear and compulsion because it's it's right at us, isn't it? And that, that yeah, and absolutely. That's the, that's the thing. Yeah, and from a layer six perspective, the way that we can deal with that, uh, bearing in mind that in that transition from six to seven, it, it naturally recedes mm. uh, as an influencer. But within layer six, which is what has really been built on a large scale at the moment, and it's, it's still in its early days. Uh, it's a matter of coming together with a trusted network of people, a trusted community of people, and that's how we address our fear is by knowing that, okay, we have each other and we have capable people within our community who know what they're doing and they're able to help us out if, for example, our supply chains get disrupted again. And knowing that we have local sources of food and energy, for example, uh, going to go a long way to addressing fears. I was going to bring you some bok choy today, but I forgot to pull it out of the garden. I've got all this bok choy. Or really? well, pak choy, so it's the same thing, actually. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know yeah. that, but it is. Yeah, there you go. Very nice. <laughs> this rain will be good for it. Yeah. Um, so what we need to do at the moment is turn our focus to building resilient local communities with the understanding that this disruption uh, is going to come again in some other form, perhaps, you know, it may or may not be another pandemic sometime over the next 10 years, but it, there certainly will be other disruptions because we're living in a world where the systems that we've relied on to sustain us and supply us uh, are in the process of gradual collapse. And, uh, and we haven't really yet understood the economic impact of the yeah. coronavirus response, which, which I feel is much more serious than, than most people really understand just yet. But that will play itself out over the next few months and, and years as we try to return to normal and find that some things maybe, you know, don't go back to normal at all, mm. uh, but are in fact uh, broken permanently and need to be replaced with more capable systems. So, uh, so yeah, turning our mind to uh, local communities and the local provision of the necess- necessities of life, including simple things like electricity. Uh, like supply chains, and we have the you know new technologies coming now, like three D printers, for example, which allow us to locally produce a whole bunch of things that have traditionally been made for the last you know hundred or two hundred years in place, far off places, and travel a long way on ships to get to us. Uh, how good would it be if we have a specialist three D printing center in our local village that can really print anything that we can provide digital plans for? Uh, so, those sorts of things. And the, using the, um, the security and uh, the, um, you know, the emotional benefit that comes from knowing that you're part of a supportive and cooperative community uh, to address fear within the local community and address it through practically demonstrating that we can cope as a local community regardless of you know, how bad things get. Uh, then you're going to avoid some of the really silly things that happen, like the panic buying of things that there was no actual reason to panic buy, uh, you know, in the early stages of the COVID-19 thing, which just, they just add to the problems. You know, the, you've got the, the fundamental problem, which is a pandemic, but then you've got a shortage of toilet paper as well, which just puts people under uh, the extra stress. I just just going back a bit, you're talking about um, uh, finding you know, simpler ways of living, for example, which was also uh, one of those points in Bill Mollison's piece there too, that sort of idea. But it made me think about the, the term life conditions itself, which is, is key to Graves' work. The impulse to move comes from the change in life conditions, a, a movement in life conditions. But that can easily be interpreted as purely economic conditions by some people. But, of course, it's not. 
And many of us now, including myself, are living in a very simple way, but actually my life conditions are quite great. Uh, so it's not about, about having more, because I think some people interpret that through, I guess, layer five more. Like, oh, that yeah. means yeah. if I, for me to move forward and evolve, I need more of something. I have to get a boat. I have to get right? a boat. Yeah, yeah I have to get a boat. And, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and a trip to, you know, Albuquerque. Yeah. I don't know why I said that, but that's a good place to go. <laughs> Hello in Albuquerque, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The term life conditions is an all-encompassing thing, mm. so it's not just physical things, it's psychological mm. things. It's it's also encompasses our, everything that influences us in the moment such mm. as our history and mm. all of the psychological impact that that has had on us you know and our all of the skills that we've learned that help us do things it's it's everything mm. um yeah so uh just uh, i'm just sort of skimming through some notes here about resilient communities uh local cooperation and collaboration um and you can use the spiral the the uh, collection of layers of consciousness that graves mapped out to help you think about all the things that you you need as a community like at layer one you, you know it's fundamental survival hunter gatherer type stuff there so you got you need food right mm. and you need to to know that you can collaborate with other people and, and put together a, a meal on a sustainable basis uh you know for, for whatever time you need to uh, perhaps in the next lockdown for whatever reason we have another lockdown um, the the layer two uh, safety and security that you know the tribe brings and all of the cult, cultural richness that comes from the tribe and knowing that there are people within the tribe who have specialties like healers and mm. you know whatever else uh, you need to to feel safe and secure within mm. community that very fundamental sort of family yeah and, and a great resilience there because of course we have that still in our in our societies largely and we also. Uh, sometimes um, romanticize those things because they feel good. I guess it's almost genetically that was a good time in our evolution Yeah, somehow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's a particular resonance at the moment because we're moving into layer six, which is communal again. We get that resonance from the previous communal systems and, Mm. and particularly from that tribal layer two. Uh, layer three, you know, the healthy expression of power within mm. the community. Mm. You know, if the community needs to take action, you know, who are the leaders within the community that we can go to and say, look, this really needs to happen, and we know that they'll have the energy and the engagement and the practical skills to make things happen within the community. Uh, layer four, rules and structure, you know, having agreed rules and structure within a community so then we know we can live peacefully with one another and we have systems for resolving issues uh, and all of those structural things that really emerged during the agricultural era, the ordered ways of doing things, uh, the formulas that we can rely on tried and true. Uh, And then layer five, you know, and, and even though we're moving beyond layer five at the moment and there's a tendency, a natural tendency for people at layer six to want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, it really doesn't help us to do that. You know, and a, a great example I can give you there is some technologies that have come from layer five can be actually be really damn useful. And uh, recently, I've been talking to people about uh, new farming methods and looking at these farming kits that you can buy now, which are like hey. uh, a package kit, and it comes with. Uh, um, everything you need basically to lay out a, a garden bed, you know, to grow your right. veggies or whatever you want to do. You could 3D print those for a start. And, and, well, you could. <laughs> and, uh, and then this little set of rails that you put down the side of the garden's bed and a little computerized device that runs backwards okay. and forwards, right? And it's got a camera in it and uh, you can program it through an app. And so you can be anywhere in the world and you can tend to your garden. You can, actually. You can actually do that as long as you've got the internet. Mm. And uh, so these things will automatically plant your garden for you. <laughs> 
and then go and inspect your garden every day using this camera. Now, I'm sure some people won't like no. that approach. I mean, some people, not, some people in, in yeah. layer six are probably not going to like that because it's all about getting your, getting your bare feet in the soil and your feet, hands in the dirt and doing that thing, which I certainly love. So I know, interesting. Right. <laughs> you know, it frees up your time to do other things right. if you're just not a gardening kind of a person. Fair enough. Not everybody um, needs to be a gardener. And in, anyway, these computerized uh, farming kits, they, they, they do the weeding. they actually using, you know, the camera they can yeah. look at the color of the plant and then Figure know that it actually it needs to be fertilizer and needs more yeah. water or whatever or less water <laughs> and the whole damn thing it. and it, it frees you up to talk to the plants right so if, you, if, you, if you're that way inclined you can just sit back and sing to the plants you, even you don't better have to do the weeding you just go and yeah. tell them how beautiful yeah. they are every day and, and all that kind of stuff so you know there are there are many and many, that works folks by the way there are many many great technologies that have come out of the, mm. the scientific industrial era which we we don't want to throw out and there is a tendency with green to throw out the, as you said the there baby is. with the bath and to yeah. throw out technology because all technology is bad look at what it's done to the world totally. but as we've often said on this show who in, who created the technology who's using it how's it used and what purpose has it got and that's all about humans doing that technology thing that's right and all those discussions all, are often taking place on social media which yeah. wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the technology right Anyway, uh, so the, the point I'm making <laughs> yeah. is that you can go through the layers and the different aspects of all of the layers in the spiral of, of human development, and each one will basically point you to, okay, how do we address that as a fundamental mm. healthy building block of, uh, you know... A, and as you design. said that, it was very clear to me as you as we move into six, through six and beyond, that all of those parts of our human self are necessary. They At are. times, they must they need to be employed. So you those... The basic stuff of layer one, of layer two, you're going to sometimes need to be those parts of yourself exactly. in terms of the whole being in, in, in a, a systematic response to the challenges that we have. Exactly, because we, we are dynamic and we move yeah. backwards and forwards between these layers, even though we, we have one, which is our, mm-hmm. our, might be our central or dominant value system. Yeah. Uh, and uh, just lastly, to finish up by the show, I think I just want to make a comment about the role of uh, civil protests at this time. And if we look back throughout history, we can see times when protest has been extremely useful in bringing about social change. So we we must remember that and we must learn from the lessons of the past. The history tells us that violence associated with civil protest doesn't work very well. And, and that was one aspect of what went on in the 1960s that didn't work well at all and, and just created more problems so uh, and detailed very well in that film by the way folks if yeah. you want to check check that out as we, we talked about um, exactly i am not your negro yeah. exactly but it, it because of the change that's going on and because of the uncertainty of the future it is a time where we are we have more opportunity to influence our leaders to make changes to policies make changes to systems and those sorts of things and by gathering together in groups peacefully to to make a point we can actually um, go a long way right now i think it's a very very good time to be doing that so long as it's done in a peaceful fashion and with due care and regard for everybody involved because we, as you are no doubt know because you you know this show uh, if you have a you know, 20,000 people marching you're going to get those few people in that 20,000 possibly who are um, largely coming from a value system that may be a bit earlier, say a three, for example, or a four, and uh, they see violence uh, and aggression as a way to get results, or they see this is the only way to do how we're doing it, we must do it this way to get results, and it's not enough now. 
Yeah, and that, that, that is one of the, I guess, the risks with uh, organising protests at the moment is that if somebody comes from a, a worldview where the world's a jungle and you've got to fight for everything and they go into it with a, you know, a sense of, of a fight, then that obviously can cause problems. And this is where we need mature leaders within the community to proactively uh, hose down uh, in, a, in a sort of a... Not in a literal sense, but in a you know, in an emotional sense, uh, you know, any any too much fire, I guess, is what I'm trying to say within uh, those who are involved in the protest, so that we can make a point, we can make it on mass, but we can make it peacefully. I must say, I, have, I won't uh, go into this, but I have a four-page printout here that I found on social media of all the results that have happened in the ten days of sustain, sustained protests around the world. And there's some very good points made here. Perhaps we'll, I'll send this to you. We can post this up on uh, on one of our platforms for people to have a look at. Sure, that's great, mm. excellent. So I think to wrap up, uh, we'll just talk briefly about what's next. Uh, we, from a an economic point of view, we know that the global economy uh, and all of the sub-economies in nations and towns around the world has taken a tremendous hit from the response to COVID-19 and I am sure that we haven't really understood the full impact of that just yet. Martin Armstrong, who we often quote as one of our sources, is urging extreme caution at this time. Uh, In fact, the patterns that he's seeing in the the, uh, global markets right now are quite extraordinary and uh, he's, he's written that he hasn't seen these sorts of patterns in any economic activity since the late 1700s. So <laughs> what we can be sure of is that something extreme, there's some extreme changes going on within the global economy at the moment. We know for a fact that this economic system was designed by Layer 5, therefore it is destined to collapse sometime uh, in the not-too-distant future. And so extreme caution is uh, is urged uh, at this stage. We 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 also need to be proactively thinking about what's next. And, um, and of course, as we've said many times on the show, uh, decentralised, encrypted, uh, electronic systems seem to be playing some role yeah. in the emerging new systems. The, perhaps the only uh, downside of, of those that we can see at the moment is that they rely on the internet and electricity to operate and sometimes you know you need something that you can stick in your pocket and walk around with mm. so what, what comes out of that in the future we're not sure but uh, watch and see one of the things you uh, pointed to this morning which we had a quick look at and I just mentioned is uh, is um, a piece from a couple of days ago in uh, thelily.com I've never come across before which is about a feminist economic recovery plan in Hawaii uh, the state wants to build a system that is capable of delivering gender equality. There's a wonderful photo with uh, a couple of guys, three or four guys, and everybody else is a woman, and one obviously gorgeous female baby, no doubt. And um, there's a lot in this article, probably good for you, people to have a look at it themselves. Um, essentially, uh, it is, it's been created by uh, a, a feminist economic recovery plan uh, by the State's Commission on the Status of Women, designed for deep cultural change by explicitly incorporating the unique needs of indigenous and immigrant women, caregivers, elderly women, femme, femme identif- identifying, haven't heard that expression before, there you go, femme identifying, and non-binary people, incarcerated women, unsheltered women, domestic abuse and sex trafficking survivors and women with disabilities. So it's really taking, and Hawaii is a, a slightly unique place, it has an older population, it's a very diverse racial population, um, and it is actually the most, I didn't know this, the most expensive 
state in the US of A. So that would definitely work not in the favour of women just there and also has the highest unemployment rate in the nation. So they're looking at um, a, a real new generation of, of a, real, a real new economic approach on a state, a state basis in the US. And that's that's a really seems to be a very good movement. We'll see how it goes. I think it's a great example of, mm. of how different thinking is coming out of this period. You know, it's, yes. it's really forcing people to, to know uh, or to notice rather, you know, what's out of balance and then to start to think about, okay, how can we fix that as we, as we move forward? Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, Nick, have you got anything from current astrology which might give us an inkling as to what is coming down the, the track? Ooh, uh, well, I do. I just have to... Dig it out somewhere. What, what we do know is that there have been uh, predictions of civil unrest associated with the U.S. elections, which of course are coming up in November, and uh, and the social and civil unrest within the U.S. is uh, all over the news at the moment. So uh, I doubt very much whether there's going to be any uh, resolution to um, to those issues between now and the election, and it looks like the election is probably going to ramp up uh, some of the activity going on there. Um, I don't have the astrological thing in front of me, which is which is the ephemeris. That's the word for where the planets are in any, any given day and time. But clearly, as we've talked about on the show before, this is a very big year astrologically. You already referred to how we spoke last year about civil unrest. This year came from a number of sources, but one of those was certainly astrology. And we looked actually at March and April, which we've seen uh, right now, civil unrest in April, May, certainly, and the whole change through COVID-19, all the stuff we've been talking about. Um, but we've got a continual dance between Pluto, Saturn, and um, and Jupiter, as, as well as other planets, some of those outer planets during this year through Capricorn into Aquarius, and that dance continues as we as we speak. We had a, a crisis period we've, we've just been through with that. There's been a bit of a lull, but I think after the full moon and the eclipse that's just gone on, I know that you had a strong time on the eclipse yourself. So did I. I think many people did that there's a there's a new sort of a, a new period which I see as a bit of a build up into July August. I suspect that we're going to see some I don't know what they're going to, what's going to be but some surprising things that we still don't some out of left field something that's going to come uh, around I'd say mid July to August. And then of course the US elections in November is another key point where Jupiter and Pluto are conjunct in late Capricorn. That's a pretty unique moment there. I think Mars is also there that week, if I remember rightly. It's a very complex uh, arrangement of planetary energies this year for those who are into that sort of thing as a reflection and an indication of a mirror of what's actually happening out there. Yeah. And I, I do feel that we're we're in a period of rolling disruption now, and mm. it's going to go on for quite some time. And, yeah. You know, there are many, many fairly accurate indicators uh, that we use that are pointing to ongoing disruptions one after the other that could stretch on for the next 10 or so years. And that doesn't mean to say it's going to be hectic the whole time, no. but it's a good time to stop and think about, okay, how do we cope with disruption? Are we good at doing that? What do we need to do, particularly in our local community, to help us cope with disruption better? Yeah, beautiful. Uh, if, I, if we've got time, I just want to read this because it's relevant to everything, I think. It's a piece from Fred Lamotte. And uh, it's, it's funny, but it's also very salient. He says this, My ancestry DNA results came in. Have you seen this? I haven't, no. Yeah, my ancestry DNA results came in. Just as I suspected, my great-grandfather was a monarch butterfly. Much of who I am is still wriggling under a stone. I am part lava, but part hummingbird too. There's a dinosaur tar in my bone marrow. My golden hair sprang out of a meadow in Palestine. Genghis Khan is my fourth cousin, but I didn't get his dimples. 
My loins are loaded with banyan seeds from Sri Lanka, but are descended from Ravana, not Ram. My uncle is a mastodon. There are traces of white people in my saliva. 3.7 billion years ago, I swirled into golden dust, dreaming of a planet overgrown with lingams and yonis. More recently, say 60,000 BC, I walked on hairy paws across a land bridge joining Sweden to Botswana. I am the child of the sun and moon. I can no longer hide my heritage of raindrops and cougar scat. I am made of your grandmother's tears. You conquered rival tribesmen of your own colour, chained them together, marched them naked to the coast and sold them to colonials from Savannah. I was the brother you sold. I was a slave trader. I was the chain. Admit it. You have wings, vast and golden, like mine, like mine. You have sweat, black and salty, like mine, like mine. You have secrets, silently singing in your blood, like mine, like mine. Don't pretend that earth is not one family. Don't pretend we never hung from the same branch. Don't pretend we don't ripen on each other's breath. Don't pretend we didn't come here to forgive. Beautiful. And who was the author? Of Fred Lamotte, L-A-M-O-T-T-E. It's popped up in social media the last week or so here all over the place. I think it's fantastic. And it really speaks to who we, you know, arguably who we actually are, or part of who we are, at least the earth part of who we are. Yeah, it's a nice theme for what's mm. going on at the moment for sure. Indeed. That's great. Well, I think we might wrap it there. Wrap it there. Just to remind you folks, Future Sense, you can go to our podcasts uh, at uh, at the moment from our RD website. That's org. Uh, the Future Sense website will be back up. We just have a small tech problem with that at the moment. You can also go to our Twitter account at Future Sense Show, at Future Sense Show, and our Facebook page, which is Future, Future Sense on Facebook. And uh, since we're not doing the radio podcast anymore, uh, broadcast anymore, we can't take uh, live text lines, but we're very interested in your questions and comments. So you can go to those platforms, either to Twitter or Facebook, and uh, anything that you'd like to say to us or any ideas that you've got or anything that's been triggered here or bring our attention to, please do. Awesome. Thanks very much. It's good to be back, and uh, we'll return next week. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. You've been listening to Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald on Future Sense. You'll find our podcasts on the web at rd.org. That's double A D double I dot O I G. We have a Facebook page called Future Sense, and you can find us on Twitter at Future Sense Show. Thanks for listening. <laughs>